You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to another victorious episode of the Assembly Call. As tonight, your Indiana Hoosiers defeat UC Davis 76-62 to to move to 5-1 and on the season. It was yet another game in which Indiana really came out sluggish, really struggled to do some of the things we've seen them do, and they've been playing well this year. There were too many turnovers early. The defense wasn't very good. And even up in, in the second half, through about the first 10, 11, 12 minutes of the second half, you know, Indiana's down by eight points, nine points, and you kind of start to wonder, okay, you know, are the Hoosiers just going to be able to get out of here with an ugly win? And they did. They clamped down defensively. They made some shots. They did a much better job getting the ball inside, and that's what allowed them to end up winning this one, kind of running away there at the end. But for most of the game, it was much more competitive uh, than what the score indicates. And in fact, for most of the game, UC Davis kind of controlled the action. And we're going to break all of that down here on this edition of the Assembly Call IU Post Game Show. I am Jared Morris. I'm here tonight with the coach, Brian Tonsoni, and let's start tonight's show as we start every show, and that is with our Hoosier uh, Proud banner moment. I want to take you back to about the seven-minute mark in the second half. It's 54-54. to 54. Indiana's done a nice job of kind of getting the game under control a little bit and just you know getting it back to even, and you kind of feel like, okay, now is the time to really turn it on and make a run. And Indiana did. And while it would be really easy to look at, you know, some of the plays Romeo made offensively, you know, he and Juwan hit back-to-back three-pointers. Justin Smith made a nice three. Al Durham did a nice job of getting to the line. What really drove the turnaround for Indiana was the defense. And they finally started doing the things defensively that they hadn't been doing all game, which was, number one, containing dribble penetration, and number two, really helping out in a smart and timely way. You know, in that possession, it was 54-54. to Romeo Lankford lets his man just blow right by him uh, on the left wing. But Juwan Morgan steps up, does a great job of closing off the baseline, uh, and forces the UC Davis guy to step on the baseline turnover. The next possession, great team defense by Indiana. They defended the dribblers. They defended ball screens, really closed out to the shooters. They end up forcing a shot clock violation. The next possession, Indiana forces a travel. Next possession, Indiana forces another turnover, and on and on. In all, it led to a 22-3 to run by Indiana. And again, the 22 was pretty. It's what's going to show up in the highlights, but it's the three, holding them to those three points and what they did defensively, just playing good, solid, fundamental pack line defense during that stretch. That's what keyed the turnaround, and that's what keyed the big run by Indiana uh, to end this game. And that's, you know, it's once again another sign of kind of the change in this program's identity. You know, when, when it was starting to go poorly tonight, and the offense just was struggling to get into a rhythm. They clamped down defensively. It got them back going, and that led to the offense getting back into rhythm, and it was really nice to see. Okay, uh, tonight's Hoosier Proud banner moment brought to you, as always, by our friends at Hoosier Proud and now their new brand, Home Field. As longtime listeners of this program know, for years, Hoosier Proud has been the best place to find Indiana-themed apparel that is made by Hoosiers for Hoosiers. And back in August, Connor and the team at Hoosier Proud took that expertise and created Home Field, a premium collegiate apparel brand that tells unique stories about a growing list of schools, including IU. The website address is homefieldapparel.com. 
There you will find designs that you can't find anywhere else. For example, you might have seen the picture that I Instagrammed and tweeted last week wearing the new Tri-Blend Fleece IU hoodie with the vintage IU Bison logo. I love it. A lot of people have asked me, what is that on your sweatshirt? So I have to explain to them what the logo is. But it's a great old school logo uh, and a really comfortable hoodie. Look for it at homefieldapparel.com in the Indiana collection, along with a bunch of other great designs. And then don't forget, back at their original website, hoosierproud.com, you will still find the best state of Indiana-themed apparel, plus our official assembly called logo t-shirts, all while sending 10% of your purchase to causes around Indiana, like Habitat for Humanity of Greater Indianapolis. So to review... The two URLs are homefieldapparel.com for IU gear and hoosierproud.com for everything else Indiana, including the assembly call shirts. Get a brother, get some coupons. And as always, use the promo code assembly at checkout to get 15% off your first purchase. That's promo code assembly at homefieldapparel.com and hoosierproud.com. All right, it is time to move the ball, find the open man, and get some opening thoughts from the rest of our team tonight. That is one man, the coach, Brian Tonsoni. It is Tonsoni time. What are your opening thoughts, coach? Well, I, I think I said something like this last Sunday uh, on the post-game show, but this is a, a kind of a throwback to Indiana basketball where you kind of expect them to win and they pull it out and they do win. And, and I think despite, uh, you know, some nervousness from a lot of us for a long period of time in tonight's ball game, uh, this is what Indiana basketball has been. And Max Bielfeld said something on, on the show that when he was looking back at this 1976 scores that, there were a lot of close games and, and you think an undefeated team is just going to win by 10, 15, 20 all the time uh, to, to win a game by 14, which uh, it probably was a lot closer than that, but which the team did not execute everything well for a long period of time, but to have the strength, the determination to put it together in the last eight or nine minutes and, and come out. And, and that's the last two games against lesser opponents. Wish it was a different scenario but that's what Indiana basketball has been about. When you're when you're a good program, uh, you're going to have some off nights and an off night, and you win by 14 uh, against a team that's picked in a, a conference that a bracketologist that conference is 17th ranked conference. Um, it's it's not a, a a horrible ball club. So I I feel better now that uh, the game's over and we have the win. To be honest, uh, but th- this team is is headed in the right direction, and it, it's just. Um, it's good to see that the closing capabilities. I have to say, as we watched the majority of tonight's team, I did not expect a positive comparison to the 76 Hoosiers to come up so early in this game. It somehow, <laughs> given how Indiana played for most of the night, that somehow seems very sacrilegious. Um, but I don't you know, know if it's a comparison more than just <laughs> trying to find something to open up the show with after you know, sweating. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, and, and to a certain extent, your point is well taken in that you know, Indiana clearly didn't have its A game tonight, and they really struggled. But, you know, in the first half, they clearly leaned on Juwan Morgan, who stepped up and, and was really just terrific. And, and we'll break down his performance. And then in the second half, you know, they leaned on that team defense, and it really got him going. And so, you know, let me ask you this, because on the one hand, you look at this, you look at the UT Arlington game, and it is a positive, you know, that given how injury shortened they've been and, and how few guys have really been able to score points except for Juwan and Romeo and a couple of other guys, you can look at it on the one hand and say, okay, you, know, you haven't had your A game, you probably haven't even had your B game, but you found a way to still win going away in the second half, and that seems like a positive sign. On the other hand, you know, I do want to be kind of careful that the team isn't taking the wrong lessons from games like these, where you come out sluggish and then you think, oh yeah, we'll just turn around at the end of the first half and the end of the second half like we did these last couple games, and we'll be fine. You know, from a coach's perspective, can that 
happen where you kind of fall into that? You get lulled a little bit into thinking we can pace ourselves, you know, or, or kind of come out without a great mentality and, you know, you'll be able to bail yourself out in the end. Is that at all a concern from games like this? Yeah, Jared, I think it is a concern that when, when you've shown the capability of just flipping the light switch and, and going on a nice run, that the danger is you're always going to expect to flip on that light switch. And against certain teams, you're not going to be able to do that. So that is a concern, and I'm sure the staff is aware of that. I also wonder how much the injuries play a part in that, where you know you understand that you can't foul, and you understand that you got to be somewhat careful, and that you're going to be playing major minutes. And, and you know, there there's some things to the NBA and, uh, you know, in our high school team, you know, now we're looking at how long can kids play for maximum effort? And sometimes shorter bursts uh, provide better basketball play. Well, uh, the true fact of these injuries is there are no short bursts. Uh, you do get the TV timeouts, which is nice in college, but still the, the stress um, could lead to some, I don't want to say coasting, but finding places within the game to find your rest. And if that seeps in too, so you know, it's better to win than to lose, uh, even if that light switch uh, fear comes on. But um, th those are all teaching points that I'm sure Archie and his staff are going to have to try to find a way to teach and make sure that that's not a permanent part of Indiana's repertoire to to let teams stay in and then turn it on late. Well, fortunately, if we do have any thoughts like that, the team that we're playing on Tuesday is likely to outscore us 30 to nothing in the first four minutes if we come out and play like that. So we'll get a nice get, get a nice rude awakening if we don't come ready to play in that one. You're listening to the Assembly Call IU postgame show. I'm Jared Morris. I'm here with the coach, Brian Tonsoni. We are breaking down Indiana's 76-62 to 62 victory over UC Davis. Coach, let's talk about Jawan Morgan. Um, I mean, we can probably get the game ball segment out of the way early because, Done. yeah, I mean, Jawan's going to get it. He was marvelous. Do you realize he played 40 minutes tonight? I just saw Jen post that on YouTube, and I was like, I guess I don't, I don't remember him leaving. You look at the box score, 40 minutes. Juwan scores 31 points, grabs 10 rebounds. Um, he's 5 of 7 from downtown, which, you know, that's a developing story. His three-point shooting has really been on point this year. Um, he had a, a streak, I think, in the first half where he made three in a row. Um, you know, Rob Finnessy really did a nice job of finding him uh, on those. A couple of them were in the corner. But, you know, it was... You know, look, Juwan was great, and that defense that I talked about in the banner moment, he was such a huge part of that. You know, his the things that he does defensively, I think sometimes you really have to watch closely to see them because it's a good hedge and a quick recovery, and it's, you know, closing off the baseline. It's not always the stuff that kind of jumps out, and he's not always guarding the guy who takes the shot at the end, but I really feel like his defense has really, after, you know, a rough first couple of games, his defense has been outstanding, and so... As good as the offense was, as necessary as it was to keep Indiana alive in the first half, even on a night when he scored 31 points, I was still more impressed tonight with Juwan's defense. And to do that with that level of focus and effort for 40 minutes, um, he was just outstanding all around. And Indiana loses tonight if he you know, basically doesn't play like an All-American, which he played with. So a huge hat tip to Juwan Morgan, who on both ends of the court was absolutely Indiana's star tonight. Yeah, and I wrote down at the 548 Mark, he, he drove the lane, missed, got a rebound, tip missed, got a rebound again and put it back up. And, and you know, the coach I work with calls that multiple efforts. Uh, and what you're talking about defensively, too, is to be able to help, to, to get back out of help, to find the next open guy, to get back to your guy. Those are things that don't show up in any box score stats, but I think Jawan does those 
uh, things very, very, very well. Uh, he has multiple efforts on almost every trip down the court, uh, defensively, uh, offensively, the same thing. And, and he hasn't always. There have been some games maybe the you know early um, where he wasn't as aggressive. I thought today his confidence offensively was, you know, you can't go five or seven from three if you're not confident that when you catch the ball, you're going to shoot. And if they're going to leave me open, it's going to go in. And he basically had that mentality that I'm going to score tonight. And, I, and then when you guard me, I'm going to go around you. Uh, and, and yes, his play was, was outstanding. And, you know, he put the team on his back in the first half and, and carried Indiana through to halftime. And uh, just, it's what seniors are about in college basketball. And, yep. and we need to appreciate that for the remaining games because you don't have too many seniors anymore with talented players uh, because of leaving early. But when you have a senior like that, that can carry a team when they're struggling, it is just an asset to have uh, on this Indiana club. He is now a Zeiss Lofty in 9 of 15 from downtown this year from three-point range, which is outstanding. I mean, you know, obviously that's the kind of thing that NBA teams wanted to see from him. And on a night like tonight, Indiana really needed those threes. I mean, they were big threes. The ones in the first half kept Indiana in it. The ones in the second half helped to kind of extend a lead that had been building. But he also didn't fall in love with it too much and still remembered what his bread and butter was, you know, is and got down low um, and, and, and did some work under the basket. Let's talk, you know, before we break, let's talk real quick about Romeo Langford, who I thought picked his spots offensively. And in the second half, when Indiana went on the run, you know, you saw, you know, the, the one finish he had on the baseline that Max Bielfeld, who was commentating for the game, mentioned that was, you know, he just does a few things athletically every game that make you go, wow. In this game, Romeo did more things that made me kind of slap my head than in most games. I thought tonight was by far his worst defensive performance of the night. I thought, on a lot of possessions, Indiana was scrambling because Romeo wouldn't fight through a screen or just kind of gave up on a play, and it really got the rest of the guys out of sync. And when you're playing the pack line, you know, as we've gone over in our Basketball 201 segments on Banner Monday, you got to have all five guys on the same page. you got to be communicating. you got to be fighting through screens and getting back and helping, you know, or else guys end up running ragged. And I, you know, I thought a lot of good looks UC Davis got. It might not have been Romeo's man, but they got the look because he was just kind of disengaged defensively. So, look. You know, you credit him because he scored 20 points. He had a couple of threes. He knocked down his free throws in the second half. And so offensively, he really helped Indiana put the clamps down and was better defensively during that run. But for the majority of the night, he his coasting on defense really, really hurt this team tonight. Um, and so that's something that against better competition, he's going to have to be better at because he's not going to be able to score enough points to compensate for that many defensive lapses. Yeah, and he's going to have to find that by Tuesday, <laughs> to be honest, or, or he'll get really exposed in, in that game. I did not see the last game uh, due to coaching duties, uh, but uh, I heard from some friends texting that he was giving up some drives in that game as well. Uh, the one that the one that really bothered me tonight was he got jab stepped uh, by one of the guys, and just the guy just drove in and, and laid it in, and then we didn't have help. Um, you know, you're going to get beat off the dribble in college basketball. They're, they're, that, that shorts kid is tough. Durham and Fennessey had their trouble with him. You get any good guard with the ability to get downhill, and, and you're going to lose some in a, in a ball game. Uh, you know, that's where your, your gap integrity has to be there, your help rotations. But you can't allow it to be too easy. And I thought Romeo and some other Indiana players today just allowed yeah. – uh, the UC Davis guys to, to get to the lane too directly. Um, and, and what you want to do if they are going to beat you is take a circular route a little bit to where you can adjust the defense with help, not a direct drive. 
And Romeo gave up a lot of direct drives. And that's just locking in, picking a foot, knowing which hand, and watching all those things we were told. Watch the stomach so you don't get faked out. Um, but it's got to be intentional. And sometimes your scorers don't have very intention, good intentions on defense. Um, you'll, you'll find that in, a, in, in every level that it's about getting buckets. And I'm not saying that's he's doing that, in, you know, but it's got to be intentional to play defense. And, and sometimes kids uh, don't like to play defense as much as they like to shoot. And Romeo's going to have to get better at it. Um, but again, it's nice getting better at it when you're 20 and five rebounds. And um, yeah, yeah, that, so. that helps. <laughs> and, you know, in, in fairness, when you it, can do that, you can miss a few drives. Yes. You know? Yes. I mean, you know, in fairness, as Jamil says in the, in the YouTube chat, Romeo is probably timid after a fractured nose. I, you know, I don't know what the nose injury is. Maybe that would make you timid fighting through some screens. You know, I don't know. But that's a, it's a habit that we've started to see from him the last few games. And in fairness, you know, he plays 39 minutes, you know, was still able to produce. You know, I will say seeing zero assists for him, I did think on the on the offensive end, he seemed to be pressing a little bit more tonight, especially after he didn't get his first field goal until about the four and a half minute mark in the first half. And he really seemed to be looking for his shot and not as much driving to pass as we saw from him early. So, you know, and, and, and the three turnovers as well. So, you know, I don't know how much that injury plays into it and how much just the entire offense being out of rhythm uh, plays into it. But yeah, you're right. You know, when you can, you know, kind of come on here and be critical of Romeo and he still has 20 points and five rebounds and is a big part of the big run that you had to put the game away, that shows you how good he is. But to me, it's also a testament to how good we believe he can be as a player when you come on here and, and try to hold him accountable for both ends of the court. And that, you know, so we're not trying to be overly critical, but, uh, you know, no, he, he's a great player and, and we want to see him play like that all, you know, at all times. Absolutely. We call that, you know, um, take coaching instead of criticism. Uh, that when, when Archie watches tape or any coach watches tape, if they're really good, it doesn't matter how many points they scored. If you, if you miss a, a drive or you don't, help on defense or you miss a block out, that's going to be charted and that's going to be mentioned. And if it's poor defensive play, but good offensive play, you're going to come out rated as a poor defender in that game, regardless of who you are. And, and that's coaching. Criticism is generally effort. Um, but when you're talking about technique and that, that's just coaching. That's just how to get better. And, and you can't expect kids to be perfect, but you can coach perfect and, and good coaches will coach perfect and they will coach their stars. Perfect too. When you don't coach your star perfect, um, th then you have some, then you have some issues that you might have in the team. Yep. All righty. Uh, coming up as we continue our breakdown of Indiana's 76 62 victory over UC Davis, I will point out tonight's meaningful moment you might have missed. And then we will go inside the numbers to highlight the most important statistical notes from the game. You are listening to the assembly call. Stick with us. You're listening to the Assembly Call IU postgame show. I am Jared Morris here with the coach Brian Tonsoni, and we are breaking down Indiana's 14-point victory over UC Davis tonight at Simon Scott Assembly Hall. It is time for tonight's meaningful moment that you might have missed. So a couple that I want to point out. Uh, one, as, as they showed shots of Archie on the sidelines in the Indiana bench, you could see uh, an important person sitting behind the bench. Trace Jackson Davis was at Simon Scott Assembly Hall uh, tonight taking the game in. And, you know, as, as we've heard about Trace's recruitment, you know, he's decided to take some time. He's looking at Indiana, looking at Michigan State, looking at UCLA, wants to, you know, kind of see the teams play. And, of course, for about 30 minutes tonight, you're kind of thinking, okay, Trace is watching this. Doesn't really seem like something you, <laughs> you'd want to be a part of. 
But on the other hand, you know, I think for a guy like him to be able to see the kind of versatility that Juwan Morgan played with in a position similar to what he would be playing with, you know, being able to step out, being able to go inside, you know, hopefully that's something where he kind of saw himself in that and could kind of visualize, um, you know, and then and saw this Indiana team tough it out and win the game. So, you know, nice to see Trace there. Hopefully he, uh, you know, took something positive from the experience, uh, especially those, uh, those final 10 minutes. But, Coach, I, I thought there was an important play in the second half that – you know, not a highlight play, but I thought it kind of got Indiana going a little bit. It was 48 to 40 uh, because, again, you know, after after Indiana had done a nice job of closing it out uh, there at the end of the first half and it was 38 to 36 at halftime, UC Davis comes right out and they go on a 10-4 run to start the second half. And you're thinking, man, here we go again. You know, we don't come out and play well in the second half. We're giving this team some life. And when it was 48 to 40, Evan Fitzner on the offensive end grabbed a really tough rebound. He kicked it out to Rob Finnessy, and Rob was wide open from three-point range. Could have very easily, you know, gone up and shot that, but he'd been struggling uh, shooting, uh, you know, had missed a couple of threes up until that point. He passes up the three, which would have been a good shot, but he drives inside, draws the defense, dishes to Juwan Morgan to get a great shot, and it makes it 48-42. to 42. That cut it to six, and I don't believe... UC Davis got got the lead back out to six after that. And it was it was just, you know, after a, a sequence of some really bad passes and some poor decisions and then even some guys forcing some shots, <clears throat> I just thought it showed a little bit of Rob's maturity, especially given how many poor decisions he made in the first half, because we'll get to this, but I thought he played some of his worst basketball early in the game. To have the presence of mind to pass that shot up and get the ball to Juwan for a, a, a better look. I thought was indicative of what this team needs to be doing offensively. And Rob did finish with eight assists, um, you know, did have three turnovers. But that, to me, was an important play in the second half and kind of got the ship righted a little bit and started to get Indiana back on the track uh, you know, toward what they would ultimately do, which is win this game by 14. Um, anything about that play that stands out to you, yeah, Coach? Yeah, that's, that's outstanding awareness within the game. Uh, and and that, that's so good from a coaching uh, standpoint to have a player who, who knows their own game. And his own game was a little bit off. And, and so what he did is he did the next best fundamental thing, which was shot fake, drive, get an assist to the player who has been hot all game. That is stuff you try to teach, you know, in practice and film sessions, and then you just love to see it applied in the game. And there it was at a key moment, down 48. And it is a lack of selfishness, or it's truly unselfish play by your point guard, which is why everyone likes fantasy as, as their point guard struggling, not hitting the three, I'm going to run the offense or, or make an offensive play and get a teammate a shot. So, yes, I, I think that was, a, that was a, a huge, huge play. <clears throat> and I also think that leads, Jared, uh, your comment leads to the idea that I thought we took a lot of contested shots and our shot selection was not very good throughout the game. And, and you mentioned it with Romeo, and I thought some players, uh, and maybe it's just the offense because for the first time I was questioning you know, what, what were we really trying to accomplish offensively for a long time? But it looked like UC Davis was getting open jumpers and we were taking contested shots all, all game. And it's good to see that that settled down at crunch time and, and whether that was an adjustment at halftime um, or after that, uh, that burst in the second half for UC Davis. That was, that was good, to, good to see as well. But, yes, that play was huge to get the, the ball rolling, to get back even and then surge ahead later. Yeah, you know, I, I tell you, another play that to me was meaningful was Rob Finnessy taking that charge late on shorts. Because, you know, that and just some of the other plays he made late, 
what we're learning about Rob Finnessy is how mentally tough he is. Because, again, I-, I thought he really came out and played poor, like surprisingly so. He looked really out of sync offensively, had some uncharacteristic bad passes. I didn't think his defense was very good or- or early either. I thought he wasn't fighting through screens. And, you know, you just look at the stats. Shorts, uh, the guard for UC Davis, in the first half, 12 points, 5 of 6 from the field, 5 assists, 1 turnover. He was doing whatever he wanted. And both Rob and Al uh, were guarding him at times. In the second half, Short scores four points, one of five from the field, two assists, and six turnovers. And a big part of the reason, especially late, was because Rob was just playing him more solidly on defense. You know, took a couple of charges, really, uh, you know, got in position. To me, it's impressive to see a young guy like Rob be able to battle through those struggles and then come out and play some of his best basketball at the end in crunch time. And that kind of mental toughness is what's going to make him a leader for this program uh, for the next three or four years. So on the one hand, you know, plenty to criticize from Rob, but I thought he you know, was able to come back and end up you know, having a productive game. Uh, eight assists, you know, the three turnovers, but ended up turning the defense around there late. You know, it, how do you handle individual adversity? How do you handle team adversity? And, and despite the the nervousness that all the Indiana fans had about tonight, this team, you know, we talked about the light switch problem, but this team is learning to handle some adverse moments uh, in this stretch of games this week. And and sometimes you need to you need to be punched in order to see how you can take a punch. And and, and I think you know, Fantasy ends up with eight assists and two turnovers. That's a four to one ratio. That's really outstanding assist to turnover ratio for a guard in, in college and and to have that after he struggled because he did not play defense very well um in, in the first half as well as his struggles offensively but that that's again what you want to see from your competitors uh the, the ability to to do that and stay you know stay in the fight and, and keep fighting even though you're you're struggling that next play mentality that next you know four minute segment mentality for you know, short memory. Champions have short memory. Forget about what's happened. Let's get back to doing what we're supposed to be doing as a ball club and individually. And, and Robert displayed that today. You're listening to the Assembly Call IU postgame show. I'm Jared Morris. I'm here with the coach Brian Tonsoni. We're breaking down Indiana's 76-62 win over UC Davis. Coach, let's go inside the numbers. Um, you know, one number that stands out: UC Davis finishes the game uh, with 0.97 points per possession. That number was obviously a lot higher early in the game, and then just <laughs> really took a nosedive late. But it's yet another team that Indiana has held under one point per possession. I believe that's every team this season. Again, just another sign of the you know the defensive mentality uh, this program has taken. You look at uh, the turnovers tonight. Indiana turns it over 15 times. So uh, again, that is an issue. Uh, you know, Romeo has three, Justin Smith, two, Robert Finnessy, three, Juwan Morgan, three. And some of the passes that Indiana made tonight, I don't even know what they were thinking. You know, on some of them, I don't know what Indiana saw because there wasn't a pass there. And then on others, they were just some of the laziest. It's like the type of stuff that you might do in five on zero, um, you know. But man, like the the one time Romeo tried to enter the post to Evan Fitzner and, and just kind of floated it up there and it got stolen. Uh, you know, uh, Rob had a couple of passes that were uncharacteristic. So that 15 turnover number really stands out, especially given that Indiana only had 11 assists. You know, those eight by uh, by Rob, but no one else really stepped up with assists. And from a free throw shooting perspective, still not good, 67%. To the Hoosiers' credit, it was better in the second half. As Indiana got into the bonus early, I think they got into the bonus at like the 13-minute mark, and then ended up making 11 of their 14 free throws late. Al Durham, uh, six for eight from the line. That was nice to see. Romeo made five of six. Uh, so 
that was really nice to see that at least in the second half when there was even more pressure on those free throws and kind of some angst in the building because the game wasn't going well, they were able to step up and knock down some of those free throws. What numbers stood out to you, Coach? Well, I'm going to go back and talk to you about your first number. I wrote it down at halftime, 1.267, according to Indiana's uh, stat site that I was tracking. And then um, to end up uh, at 0.97, the second half defense was, was what we have seen so far uh, th- this season. And um, I- I'm just going to talk about everyone knows the numbers of injuries that, that we've had. The other thing that, that plays subliminally gets into players' minds is you know you're not going to get subbed. A- and you should play every possession like it's potentially your last if you're a player. But I- I've been there as a player. You've been there as a player. When you know you're not coming out, okay, so I missed a blockout this time. I'm, <laughs> there's just no one left. Uh, in, in some ways, and um, the bench can be that great motivator. Or it could be a, a great thing. I think we saw this week why depth is so important. And, and the positive uh, this week is that you got some guys some minutes to to learn, and, and and we found out about some players too on whether they can be counted on. But as we slowly get Devonte and McRoberts back, and and hopefully uh, race back, and I know Jerome's a long question. I think you know th- those those numbers of minutes. If you're looking at the numbers, the number of minutes played when you had Romeo at 39 and uh, Durham at 38 and Morgan at 40, those are just way, way, way too high for consistent play. And so um, I'm looking for those numbers to come down and our play to improve. A couple other numbers. Bench points tonight, zero. No bench points from the trio of Deron Davis, Demise Anderson, and Evan Fitzner. They played a combined 23 minutes, and, you know, if Justin Smith had been more consistent, they might not have even played that much because Justin Smith was the only starter to not play at least 36 minutes. He only played 24. And, you know, for him, it was just another inconsistent game. I mean, he makes that three. He had a couple of nice finishes, but, you know, he had another uh, one that I highlighted where he made a really nice cut to the basket and just kind of short-armed the ball getting up on the rim and missed it. And, you know, look, if this is gonna, if this is a guy who has aspirations to play professionally or just be an impact player in the Big Ten – he's too good of an athlete and too powerful of an athlete to not go up there and score there or get the ball on the rim and make them foul him. So, you know, some of that timidness, you know, still there from Justin. Uh, and, and we certainly saw, you know, Archie Miller not that satisfied with him because he only played that many minutes. Um, but, you know, credit to him for coming back, making that three. And I thought his defense was much better late after he spent a little bit of time on the bench. But, yeah, I mean, we, we've got to get some of those guys back because – you know, it, it's awesome to be able to count on your starters like this, but we're going to be worn out by the middle of December if we're playing this many minutes. And when you have a gauntlet coming up of Duke, Northwestern, Penn State, Louisville, and Butler, those are all five teams that if you don't at least bring a B-plus, A-minus effort, you're not going to have a chance to win there. And so we're going to need guys like Deron Davis and, and especially Evan Fitzner, who you know just really seems to be struggling to kind of get in the flow um, offensively. But you know, zero bench points, that definitely stands out um, as a statistic that was uh, that was not good tonight. And I'll tell you the other one, Coach, that, you know, we feel better because we ended up winning, and it, it feels nice because you kind of ended on a high note with that strong play late. But let's not forget that against a team that I think, what was UC Davis coming into this game in Ken Palm, like 250-something? They were coming into this game, UC Davis was 256. Indiana led for a grand total of five and a half minutes tonight. It's not good. You know, 
got themselves in that hole early. And so just because they came out and played better at the end, it doesn't excuse or absolve all the issues that came before that. So, you know, th- this is the kind of game that Indiana needed to come out and establish their dominance early, and they didn't. They waited until the end. Good thing they did. But the competition's not always going to be this forgiving moving forward. Yeah, and, and that's that's what makes everyone nervous a little bit, especially, you know, when you look at UC Davis' first six games, they shot 35% from the field and 24.8% from three, and then they were splashing threes all over. So is that was that Indiana's bad defense, or was that UC Davis finally getting the shots to go down that they hadn't gotten uh, to go down all year? And, you know, water finds its level, and all the stats work out, and regression, those kind of comments. But um, I, I think it was a combination. At one point, there was a banked-in shot yeah. in the first segment. There was a shot clock, heavy contested heave that went in. And the center, who had 15% threes, 5 of 27 coming in, and he ended up 4 of 9 tonight. But he had 5 for the whole season and hit 4 tonight. So I'm sure he's capable of hitting. Um, but sometimes you run into that. You, you run into a team that, for whatever reason, found their groove when they're playing you, and if you don't match the intensity early. So, yes, it, it looks bad because UC Davis was 1-5. and five. Um, They were in the NIT last year. They had – I think several, um, three starters back, seven players back that was in their rotation. So, you know, they just, they played poorly at the beginning of their schedule and they're probably finding their way about them too. So, you know, I I still think Indiana should have played a lot better and this one should have been away, put away about the 16 minute mark of the second half, given where these programs are. But, um, I think we just ran into a team that found some some baskets for a little bit tonight too, and we aided them with our lack of intensity. And that's what happens when you let teams hang around; you run into some danger. Yeah, they were 129th in Ken Palm last year, and that's why you know for folks who were paying attention to our off-season shows, we talked a lot about how you know outside of that quintet of games, you know that I just mentioned, you know the, the that game plus the Arkansas game, the Duke and and uh, um, Butler, Louisville, Arkansas, Marquette. Outside of that quintet, this was probably going to be the next toughest one. Now, they got off to such a bad start, and their numbers looked so bad that this kind of felt like, you know, Mississippi Valley State waltzing in here. But yeah, this is a better team than that, you know, and they've got some good players. And so I even tweeted before the game this is a game Indiana should assert their dominance. But at the same time, maybe they're due for a little bit of a bounce back. And that's, you know, that's what happened a little bit. But like you said, Indiana aided that um, with some of their really lackadaisical play. So certainly feel fortunate to get out of this one with a win, considering how Indiana played for a lot of the night. All right. Coming up on the assembly call, we'll get right to that, Coach. We continue our breakdown of Indiana's victory over UC Davis. We'll talk about whatever Coach wants to talk about. Also break down the night for Al Durham. That's next here on the assembly call. Stick with us. You're listening to the Assembly Call IU postgame show. Catch us live immediately following every IU basketball game, plus every Thursday night and Monday afternoon at our website, assemblycall.com. I'm Jared Morris. I'm here with Coach Brian Tonsoni. Talking about Indiana's uh, (laughs) hard-fought, in some senses disappointing, 14-point victory over UC Davis, considering how the Hoosiers played for most of the night, but at least they escaped, uh, avoided disaster uh, on the back, uh, uh, certainly of Jawan Morgan. Coach, you were going to make a point before the break. What what were you going to say? Well, I think it, it, it just seemed to me like Indiana did not play with a sense of urgency to start. 
um, passing the ball, uh, you mentioned lackadaisical passes, not getting good screening, uh, defensively letting uh, people just drive the lane, um, th- those types of things. And then you saw the urgency pick up with about 10 minutes. And that, that's the thing that needs to be fixed. And, and Archie and his staff need to look at what they're doing and the players need to look at what they're doing. And there are no excuses. The reason about having injured players and all of that is fine and nice, but your play was what you did tonight. And, and those team guys wore the Indiana jersey, and if they weren't playing with a sense of urgency, then they better bring it in Durham on Tuesday or it, it could get ugly. So that that's the main concern. Um, that I have with the performance, uh, not so much who we played or where they're, they were, um, you know, ranked in certain things is, is Indiana needs to play every game with a sense of urgency in order to, you know, maximize uh, the season. To get back to a point that you mentioned earlier, and just to play devil's advocate, you know, do you think, I mean, you go into this game, obviously, you know, they <clears throat> buoyed by the fact that Romeo and Al were going to play, which is great, but those starters still probably knew they were going to play the majority of the minutes. Look, I don't think anything excuses like lazy turnovers because that's, you know, you can do that even if, as you said earlier, you know, you're kind of trying to buy a little bit of rest because, you you know, we, look, we all want to say you should go 100% on every possession. But we all know if you're going to play 38, 39, 40 minutes, you cannot go all out on every possession. You'll wear yourself out before halfway through the first half. So do you think there could be anything where these guys know they're going to play a ton so they don't come out with that huge sense of urgency and then you get to the end of the game and it's like, all right, there's eight minutes left. You know, now it's kind of time to leave everything out there. Could that be entering into it at all with them mentally, especially some of the young guys? Or is that being way, way too generous with making excuses? No, I don't think – you, you don't sit there and tell them that's what happened so it was okay. You get upset with them that that's what happened. Um, in, in the meeting tomorrow when you watch film, you know, um, and as a coach and you get mad at him, you walk in your office and you say, yeah, I, I did that when I was a player too. But you, you can't tolerate that. Yeah. Uh, but it, it happens, you know. Um, it happens a lot, like I said, with scores. What's coach going to do? Take me out? He has no one else to score if, in certain programs, you know? Yeah. And, and and that's not – I'm not saying the players are thinking that intentionally or out loud, but it just sits subliminally in your head, and especially when you know you're going to play 38 minutes. And like you said, you can't go all out. Okay, if all four guys think this is my possession to just sit back a little bit, then you don't help, and then you get driven. And – um but the nice thing is it, it didn't it didn't seep in enough to say they couldn't summon it up uh, after playing 30 minutes. And so, you know, that's where the teaching point comes in. If you could do it at 10 minutes, why didn't you do it at 15? Why didn't you do it coming out of halftime? Why didn't you do it from the start of the game? But, um, yeah, I think I think some of this, no excuse, and maybe a lot of the play since Arkansas is the lack of numbers um, finally catching up. Uh, to to Indiana. The problem with that, though, is bad habits can be formed. And that's what I'm starting to see with the turnovers. And that's why I, I'm now worried about turnovers. I'm just going to say it. Like I, It was easy to explain away the first time, even the second time. It's a concerning trend now. Because you start to see something three games in a row. You know, at some point, you just are what you are. And you are what you've been doing. And this team is getting just too much into the habit of making lazy passes, trying to dribble through traffic when it's not there. You know, look, I mean, if they're going to turn the ball over like that against Duke and it's going to lead to possessions going the other way, I mean, game over, good night, you know. But, but you know, even more than that, playing teams like Penn State and Northwestern and Louisville and Butler, they're anywhere close to the level of Duke but are still good. They're going to make you pay for that. So 
that's a big concern for me coming out of this game. And you know, there I and and to me, the lack of depth or that kind of stuff, that doesn't excuse some of the turnovers. Um, because those are just those are habitual things that you know, you look at the programs that are really good at reducing turnovers, you know, they just they just don't do it. And I think that's just that's seeping in too much. Here's my hope for that coach is that our offense is still finding its rhythm, still getting in sync, and that some of those turnovers are from that. And guys being a little like like I thought Rob Finnessy tonight, you know, just it's like he wasn't quite sure where guys were going to go and he was kind of tentative and he wanted to make a pass but he didn't so he held on to it for you know a second longer or then he dribbled through traffic cuz he couldn't like I just thought there was some tentativeness there from guys. And so I'm hoping that as the offense gets a little bit more in rhythm, guys start to understand where other guys are going to be, we start to see some of that go away. Um but it needs to because Indiana is not going to beat good teams turning the ball over like this. Yeah, I, and I I I just I would look back and see what what kind of negative trends have happened since Arkansas, and, and and one of them is we've lost we have four players down. Um, you know the first game with the four players out was Marquette. We were able to handle it. We were home. We were juiced up. Marquette's not known for a pressure defense as these three teams, Arkansas especially. But UC Davis did a good job of trying to defend and and force Indiana to shoot threes and. What I heard from Texas Arlington is they had a lot of pressure defense, and so these young guys, um, for the first time, had heavy pressure. And you, you, when you're in game pressure situations too, time and score, you revert back to your training. And and young kids are still getting the bad high school habits trained out of their system, regardless if it's Romeo, Fantasy, Demisey, whatever. Uh, when push comes to shove, and it's a tough game or a tough pressure all up in you. Sometimes you revert back to playing the way you did previously in your training. And, and good coaches spend a lot of time trying to train those bad habits out. So I think we saw a revert, you know, certain players revert back to lazy passes, not meeting the pass at the level that needs to be done here. Now, if that's veterans doing that, you have a huge problem. But I, I, I would have to go back and look at the trends over time and see if it was the younger players, even second-year players, uh, doing some of that. Um, and and then look at at who's making uh, the turnovers. I think that's the case in Romeo. I, I think Romeo's always had it a little bit easy, and now he's got some pressure, and he's got to learn that, okay, and once he steps it up, that talent is there. Same with Finnessy. Once he steps it up and has that attention to detail at the college level, I think those numbers will go down. And at least that's my hope, because if it trends this way, that doesn't bode well for Indiana. You're listening to the Assembly Call IU Postgame Show. I'm Jared Morris here with the coach, Brian Tonsoni, breaking down IU UC Davis. Coach, let's talk a little bit about Al Durham. It was great to see him back in the lineup, you know, to know that that injury that he suffered against UT Arlington wasn't anything serious. Um, and, and he had a solid line tonight, 12 points, made a couple of three-pointers, had a couple of assists. As I mentioned earlier, was six for eight from the free throw line. I have kind of a theory here. Let me run this by you. You know, Al is now, he was two of three from downtown tonight. He is now 8 of 18 from downtown. So he's, you know, plus 40% shooting from deep, which, you know, as we mentioned in the offseason, if he can find a three-point shot, that's really going to be lethal. You know, coming into this game, and again, he hadn't played a ton of minutes, his free throw rate was only 10%. So that's how many free throws he's shooting out of his total number of field goal attempts. Last year, it was 48.7%. You know, because he's a guy who couldn't really rely on the three-point shooting last year, was really adept at getting into the lane, going to the basket, and he's always seemed to be kind of at his best doing that. And so I thought tonight, even though he had made a three, I thought he was really invisible offensively for a lot of the night. And, you know, 
just kind of standing around the perimeter, kind of hoping to get an open shot, but not attacking. You know, and I don't know if that's because, you know, he's just he's falling in love with the three, if his back was hurting him, and maybe that was making him a little bit reticent to drive to the basket. I don't know any of that, and that could all be playing into it. But I was really glad to see him in the second half later get into the lane, you know, draw some contact, drive in there, because he's so good at that. And if he can pair that with his improved three-point shooting, we've got a legitimate Big Ten guard in Al Durham offensively. We know what he can do defensively, and for the most part, he was good tonight um, after, after kind of a slow start. So that's the thing for me looking forward that I think will be interesting is – you know, as he continues to shoot better from three-point range, if this is a trend more than just kind of an early season small sample size thing, does he lose some of his aggressiveness going to the basket or does he keep that? Because I think he really needs to make sure that he continues to go to the basket because that's, even if he's a better three-point shooter, I still think he's going to be a more effective guy getting into the lane, getting fouled, drawing the defense in that way. No, that's a very important point. Sometimes when players hit three-point shots, it's... um it, it's not the worst thing for your team defensively because then they'll fall in love with the three-point shot. Usually you say that about post guys. You yeah. know, if a, if a post guy or a, or a, a trail four hits a three, then they don't want to go back inside. Uh, so that is a concern, and, and, but it's a it's a positive concern, you know, that <laughs> Elk can shoot the three. I thought his offensive game has been really, really good short of turnovers, but I don't think he had a turnover tonight. Looking at the sheet, he had two assists, no turnovers. Yeah, yeah, he didn't uh, have one tonight. So – I, I like that too, and and sometimes it's not, it's not necessarily the shots taken, but when because uh, the only one that I didn't like from him tonight, and I what I thought was an outstanding performance was at six thirty four, and, and I don't have the score uh, down, but it was fifty four fifty four I think when it got stuck. okay, it yeah, right after that play you mentioned about the help side defense where there's a player cutting across and it was Juwan or Romeo the combination there really good help side defense saved uh, there were two in a row actually, but. At 6.34, it was early, somewhat early, midway through the shot clock, and he launches a three, and we did not go to uh, Juwan, and we did not go to Romeo. And at that point, at 6.34, you got to go, I think, to one of those two or take a Durham drive for a free throw, not settle for a contested three. I thought it was a contested three. But none, with, with that said, and that's coaching to perfection too, because I thought Al played well. I thought he gave up a couple drives early defensively, uh, but I thought he had a really solid game, but that's a key moment that I would coach L uh, on saying, if you were wide open after it touched the paint or Romeo or Juwan had it, that's one thing, but I didn't think that was a good shot at that time, but boy, it, it is nice to have him be healthy and, and play. And again, once we get everyone back that he'll still be a huge piece, but he's got to have that inside outside game. As you said, he can't just be an outside, uh, fall in love with the outside shot. What else should we say about the the bench guys, if anything? I mean, did any, you know, I thought Demise Anderson, we saw him get beat several times defensively, which is, you know, kind of a theme when Demise is out there and you just, you kind of know that you're going to have to kind of help a little bit more on his man. Um, you know, Duran looked a little bit out of sorts, not in rhythm, and, and Evan really couldn't get going. Anything else, anything stand out about those three guys or just forgettable nights for all three? No, I, I think, you know, uh, Demise's in a learning situation. You saw his minutes decrease from Arkansas to Texas San, uh, San Antonio to tonight. Davis, they're going to be careful with him because they're going to need him in big time games. So I thought he could go. I almost was thinking not to have him go now, but save him for Duke if he was healthy. You, you just want to take care of him. Uh, and he's played so hard and, and I think so well coming back off that injury. Um, and, and tonight was a tough night for him because their center was a three point threat. When I looked at his shots, 
Um, the, I think, I don't know if John hit a two pointer, but previous this game, he had five makes on the year and missed all of his twos. So, so their post player was a three point shot. So that, that might not have been a game for Davis to defend in. Fitzner's the one that uh, seems to be a little bit of struggle against pressure defenses. Uh, I think that maybe he'll be more of an effective team against teams that will trap ball screens or, or switch and he can get an advantage or he can play that pick and pop game. Uh, so we're learning a little bit about, about his play that, um, when he's left open, he can go four for four in those games. But if he's going to be guarded and pressured, he I think he struggles a, a little bit. So, yeah, the bench was tough tonight. Uh, they came in and gave the minutes that they could. Uh, and there's some of them that are still learning or getting healthy uh, for Big Ten play. That's why we need to get everyone else back um, to have some options. Yeah, one comparison that probably needs to die is uh, Evan Fitzner to Max Bielfeldt. Because I think now that we've seen six games, not that I'm writing off Evan Fitzner's impact. I mean, I still think there's going to there'll be three or four games this year that he wins for Indiana in part because he comes out there and gets 14 15 16 points because he gets some open looks but Max Bielfeld was a guy who really brought it every game and would give you tough physical play and was able to find a way to score manufacture some points even if his three-point shot wasn't falling and we're just not seeing that right now from Evan you know and, and whether that's just him getting comfortable or or what it is you know he's been really up and down really inconsistent you would hope that you know a senior like that, you kind of know what you're going to get from him coming out each game, but right now it doesn't feel like that, which you know to me is, has been one of the more bigger, uh, one of the bigger disappointments um, so far this season. He did have two steals tonight and and had yep. three rebounds in ten minutes. So if you're looking for something positive from Fitzner, and, and you know what, sometimes players play with certain combinations too, and and, and you know being forced into maybe playing. With, you know, I, Archie had mentioned this at some point that, you know, they're playing people that hadn't even practiced together. Um, you know, so I, again, I'm not trying to find excuses. Heck, I know as a coach, I'm tough on people, you know, there are no excuses, but I'm looking for reasons more than excuses. So let's keep hoping that he, he can develop and, and help us. Yeah, for sure. All right, coming up in our final segment, we hand out our game ball. That'll be easy. Take a quick look ahead to Indiana's next opponent. Should be a good one. And then in last call, we'll deliver our final thoughts on Indiana's victory over UC Davis. That's next. Stick with us. listening to the assembly call iu postgame show i am jared morrissey with coach brian tonsonia we are wrapping up our breakdown of indiana's victory over uc davis at simon scott assembly hall the final tune-up before taking on duke on tuesday this is the point in the show where we hand out our game balls we pretty much did that in the first segment but let's just use this segment to uh linger a little bit coach on the great night from Jawan morgan um you know again the numbers Outstanding from Juwan tonight. He plays all 40 minutes, 31 points. He was 13 of 18 from the field, 10 rebounds. You know, he did have three turnovers, which I suppose is the one blemish. But when you're handling as many possessions as he did, you know, and playing that many minutes, you know, you're going to, you might have a turnover or two. <laughs> and, uh, and he did. There's, there's one pass that stood out that probably wasn't a great one, but yeah, he was really fantastic. And, and as we mentioned earlier, it, his contributions don't show up all in the stat sheet, despite how impressive the stat sheet numbers were. Um, he was just uh, he was just really good tonight, and 
Look, you know, we've certainly learned some things about this team uh, through six games. And to me, one of the most important lessons that we have learned is this team is at its best when they're playing through Juwan Morgan. That doesn't mean that Romeo isn't the most talented offensive player. He is. He's the guy that can go get a bucket on his own the easiest. But the offense runs better. The team is more emotionally stable and into the game when Juwan Morgan is leading from the front. And so, you know, what I kind of wonder, you know, I, I do think he does sometimes tend to kind of ease his way into games a little bit, especially offensively, whether that's, you know, him wanting other guys to get their points or whatever. I wonder if he shouldn't really come out more assertive in games and, and help Indiana get off to a better start. Because Romeo also seems like a guy who kind of likes to ease into things. And when you have your two best players both easing into things, you know, now it's like you're relying on Rob Finnessy and Justin Smith and you know, Al Durham or whoever else is out there with those guys to pick up the slack offensively. I'd rather see Juwan just come out and grab eight points early on and then kind of lead the way. And maybe that would help get everybody else going rather than thinking he should be a little bit less assertive. So I don't know if that's the mentality he brings into the games. It just kind of feels like it a little bit. And that's one change I would like to see from him moving forward. If, if it's his mentality, I would say, yeah, he needs to be aggressive within the scope of the game plan. Sometimes the game plan is to get other people going and let your, your stars uh, fill in when, when they're ready. Uh, you know, that's a big debate in the coaching world. Do you, do you go early to your uh, stars to get them going and then hope people feed off of them, or do you run the offense? And I'm almost to the point now, if I were Archie, to say with a, a couple of games of slow starts is let's feed that ball inside. Yeah. And, and get him going. But, you know, Michael Jordan never got going. He fed the ball to Cartwright and that triangle offense back when the Bulls were good. You probably were a toddler back then. Or when, hey, when I know. I, I remember those good Bulls teams. I love right, those teams. So, you know, I talk in class now and about the Bulls and everyone kind of looks at me. They weren't even born when the <laughs> Bulls. But Jordan, you, Jordan used, used to be scoreless until five minutes in the, in the first quarter and end up with 35-40. So there's different philosophies out there. But, um yeah, it was a little concerning to me, Jared, today that I thought early in the game, Romeo and and Juwan weren't getting shots. In fact, my second line on my notepad today is, who's shooting? Question mark, question mark. Yeah. Um, because of the point that you made. Now, whether that was them just, that's their mentality as players, or whether that was strategy, that's the one thing I would like to, to know. But um, nonetheless, I... I the shot selection concerned me early until Juwan started feeling it, and then he was just going to shoot everything, um, you know. And there, so I, I don't know, I don't know the answer to that. I would like to to think that um, that would help if they came out a little more aggressive early. Yeah, you know, and, and Michael says in the chat, you know, not going to criticize Juwan for crying out loud. He, Juwan has been our rock for two years. Absolutely, this is not meant as a criticism at all. And and, and I agree with you, Coach. Like I think you know sometimes, especially if you have like one star who's kind of the clear guy, get the other four guys involved. But context is everything. And we don't know what the game plan is either. So right. we're you know talking out of our rumps here on a lot of this stuff, but just kind of basing it on what we see. But I just wonder if given the context of this team and what we know of Romeo kind of being a guy who seems to ease his way in, if given that, maybe just for a couple of games, and especially against Duke on the road, really focus on getting Juwan going right off the bat. You know, that's all I'm saying, because maybe it'll help us get off to better starts than what we've seen. Um, so, you know, yeah. not, not a criticism, not a criticism of him at all. In fact, it's, you know, let's maybe position him to be more the focal point early on and make that a coaching focus. So whether he wants to ease into the game or not, he's not allowed to, <laughs> you know, you just go right down to him and let's get off to a good start.
Yeah, and, and it is just interesting. Um, you know, the guy I, I coach for, we talk about that. How many shots do you want your best player to get, and when do you want them to get, be in the game? And sometimes we have some knockdown, drag-out arguments on when the best player should get his shots and how many and, and the need for other players to get their shots. And that's what's so fun about coaching is that there, there are two ways to, to do it. Uh, but I do think it's going to be taken into consideration now because of, of the two best players not getting quality shots until seven, eight minutes into the game. And I think that was a guess as far as the minutes. Yeah. Um, but it did concern me early, um, the lack of shots for Romeo. And I wrote that down Sunday, too, when I was on the post game. Uh, the last game I saw, I thought it took way too long for Romeo to get involved. And then Romeo got hot at the, at the second half and kind of got Indiana back into a, a position to play a, after halftime. Uh, so I, I, it seems like that's a little trend, too, that the better players are, are taking some time to get going. And it, we have been behind in those situations. So I'd yeah. like to go back and see what happened in Marquette game when we got off to the, who, who got hot early. Everybody was hot early in that one. We're forcing those yeah. turnovers and transition. That was that game was a bit of an outlier. So, yeah, I, I think that's at least something now that's going to be looked and discussed after watching film in the coaching room. Um, so let's make it official. Game ball, Juwan Morgan. Game ball, Juwan yes. Morgan for you, too. Um, yes. <clears throat> all right. So this is usually the point in the night where we talk about Indiana's upcoming opponent. Of course, Indiana playing Duke on Tuesday, at the 27th. That is a late game. That'll be 930 Eastern time start. Late game, late post game show. So we all need to have our rest prior to that one. Um, we will spend some time on Banner Monday talking IU Duke. I haven't figured out exactly what segments we'll do. We'll definitely spend some time talking about that. Obviously, you have the post-game show after that. You know, you look at this, I, to, you know, I'll be interested to see what you think about this, Coach. Duke lost to Gonzaga. Shockingly, they're not going to go undefeated, and, and the talk of them being able to beat an NBA team, uh, maybe it can stop now. I think it's good that Duke lost. Because I think the veneer of invincibility is gone. And now it's not in the back of your minds when you go up there that you might be playing Jesus Christ and the 12 disciples, to use an A.J. Moye term. But that, you know, this now, great, granted, a great Gonzaga team beat them. They might be the best team in the country. You know, but I think, <clears throat> you know, for Indiana to go in there and having seen them get beat, I think that helps subconsciously Indiana's mentality. The flip side, of course, is, well, now Duke's going to be angry and they're going to be focused because they lost, yada, yada. I don't care. I think it's a net positive that we saw Duke get beat. We saw a way they get beat. This team can go in there believing a little bit more than they can beat them because they've seen it happen. So, look, I, I think there are many, many more reasons to think that Duke is going to win and probably win comfortably than there are to think that Indiana is going to win, especially given Indiana's troubles you know, with injuries. But I feel a little bit better about it having seen them lose a game. Do you think that was a positive that they lost to Gonzaga heading into this game? Well, I, I think that, and I would say also that uh, was a score of Auburn. I did not get to see the Duke-Auburn game, but that score was 78-72, I believe, or something. Um, they were in the 70s. And so sometimes being in the mid-80s and mid-70s when you got a juggernaut like Duke is, is good too, regardless of wins and losses, that they're not just dropping 90 and 120 or whatever. Like, you know, after the first night, we were, everyone was ready to crown them. Um, and I know you got the drop line ready, uh, of mine, but, nope. um, I, 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 I don't, no, I don't, I don't want to jinx it. We're getting closer good. to game don't, time. Don't, now. don't bring that out, but <laughs> he, here, here's my look at, 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 so I think, I think you're right. I think that shows other teams that, Hey, you go in there and play a darn near near perfect. Cause the margin for air is almost nil, uh, for the Indiana Hoosiers, in my opinion, that, that they can be beat. Um, 
and along with the way they played uh, the last two games, uh, if you're a good team, you can go in there and compete with Duke. Now it's harder at Duke and, and the officials and never going to be called for fouls and all that stuff. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think, I think Indiana playing their best defense, um, can have a shot. And I know that means that's a great offense and great players, but Indiana has played some solid defense. Uh, just wonder if there's enough offense, um, with the turnovers recently in that to prevent some breakouts and easy offensive points. So it's, it's, but, but I do think that Duke doesn't play outstanding defense, uh, uh, as well. So if, if we can take care of the ball, I think we can score on Duke. It's just, do we have enough points in there at Duke? Uh, to get it done. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be, a, you know, obviously Romeo and Juwan are going to have to play like superstars to give us a shot. That's clear. Rob Finnessy is going to have to go into a really tough environment and, you know, play Trey Jones really well, you know, another freshman guard. And I think the other big key is Justin Smith. You play a game like this, you need your supreme athletes to play really well. He's going to have to play 30 plus minutes. He's going to have to be focused. He's going to have to make plays. And, you know, I think that how Justin Smith plays, I think, will tell us a lot about this game. If we come on here and he played 20 minutes and had seven points and a couple of rebounds and wasn't a factor, Indiana probably lost by 20. And if it's a close game, I think we're coming in here and Justin Smith is a guy we're talking about for a game ball because I just I think he's going to be that important in this game uh, given the talent and the athleticism that Duke has. All right, we'll talk about that more um, on Banner Monday. You are listening to the Assembly Call IU postgame show. Remember that because you're an Assembly Call listener, you get 15% off your entire order at HoosierProud.com and at HomeFieldApparel.com. So if you want officially licensed IU gear, go to HomeFieldApparel.com. And if you want one of our Assembly Call logo t-shirts or one of Hoosier Proud's unique Indiana-inspired designs, visit HoosierProud.com. And on both sites, use the promo code ASSEMBLY at checkout for 15% off your entire order. All right, Coach, it is time for Last Call. Your final thoughts on a tough, worrisome, uh, I suppose in some ways discouraging, but ultimately successful night at Simon Scott Assembly Hall. Indiana is one tip away from being 6-0 despite having multiple, and I mean four or five injured players, that has taken away a strength of theirs, which is supposed to be depth. Uh, Indiana has faced some adversity and, and lost, came back with a day's uh, preparation, uh, lost some players inside of that game, came back again, um, Within the game tonight, handled some adversity. Those things can only be banked as positive deposits uh, down the road. Uh, this team is different, even though there are some trends that that we as fans don't like to see offensively and defensively. Uh, this team and this program is different, uh, a lot more competitive. They're in for a battle uh, royal on, uh, on Tuesday and a tough stretch of five games, but this team is going to win more of those uh, than, than lose, and we just need to stay with it. And um, proud of the guys, proud of the people get, uh, showing up and cheering on the guys at, at the Assembly Hall, and um, we just got to keep fighting. And every day is a new day, and, and I'm just very positive about Indiana basketball, uh, e even though this week of three games has been a little bit tough. Um, you know, I, I think it's bound to turn around soon. Yep. And, you know, on the positive note, we won this game, <laughs> you know, I mean, so, you know, that that's that's progress, despite the fact that it didn't feel like it for much of the night. Uh, the the Kenpon numbers just got updated, by the way, Indiana uh, 23rd, as I'm reading this. Interestingly, the defense drops to 29th, the offense 24th. So 
Ken Palm is not a fan of Indiana's defense. A lot of that, again, that's kind of that's adjusted for competition and given how bad UC Davis's offense was. So as their offense gets a little bit better, the negative impact of this game uh, could be negated a little bit. For but for tonight, uh, had an impact. Just a couple of interesting numbers. Juwan Morgan. Currently 28th in the country in three-point percentage uh, with his 60% shooting. Uh, his numbers across the board just look outstanding. His offensive rating is 133rd, which is 108th. That's really, really good for a guy assuming the role that he is where he's using 25% of Indiana's possessions. So he's really just off to a really nice start numbers-wise this year. Coach, Indiana 69th in the country in three-point shooting, um, which is not something anybody would have expected. You know, Chris, uh, our buddy from IU Artifacts in the chat, mentioned that. You know, in the chat about, you know, is that a concern moving forward? Can Juwan sustain this? Can Al sustain this? Who knows? It doesn't, certainly that number doesn't feel sustainable. Um, but, you know, through six games, you are seeing Indiana make a lot more of the open shots than, than they did last year. So that's at least a positive. Um, Indiana, fourth overall in effective field goal percentage. So despite what has felt like a really, like an offense that has really struggled at times, the numbers are pretty good, <laughs> you know, at least some of them. But on the downside, the turnover number, 238th in the country. So that'll obviously have to get a lot better. So just a few numbers there real quick. We'll dig into some more of those on Banner Monday. But yeah, you know, the, as we mentioned, you know, Indiana only leads for five and a half minutes. But, you know, the way that they were able to get that lead and keep that lead and sustain it to me is what you build on from this game. You know, the, the defense really led the way again. And that's what we're seeing from this team is when they really play well, the defense is leading the way. It's leading to offense. It leads to open shots. And good defense seems to lead to rhythm offense in a sense. And, and so, you know, I've wanted this to be a program that is built on its defense and that, you know, forges an identity of defense. And I think we're seeing that. And we're seeing Indiana's star player, Juwan Morgan, really lead the way in that because his defense has been uh, has been really good. So, you know, that's what I take away from tonight. Hopefully we can get healthy because we're not going to win a, a ton of games with guys playing this many minutes. I think it's nice to see Indiana's best players playing this many minutes, um, but it's not going to be sustainable. So hopefully we get some guys healthy and hopefully we can go up there on Tuesday and really play well. And and look, you go up to Duke and you could play really well and you could lose the game, but have some things to take away from it. Don't send the segment to Archie Miller because we know what he thinks about, uh, about that. But you just really, you want to go up there, have most of your guys there, and give it your best shot. And if Indiana does that, they could give themselves a chance to win that game. Um, so you know that that's that's what I'm hoping to see. Have something to build on because it's a tough, tough string of games after that. Um, but what Indiana really needed to do most in this this two game stretch against UT Arlington, UT Arlington, UC Davis was avoid a disaster and avoid any more crippling injuries. And while it seemed like that may not have happened after UT Arlington with the injuries, we saw Deron Romeo and Al all back on the court. We saw Devontae and Zach McRoberts both dressed and warming up, though they didn't play. You know, I think Race Thompson might have been too, um, or at least he's, you know, getting closer. So that's, you know, one of the other biggest positives is you got out of, out of these two games without a disaster. No more big injuries were suffered. Hopefully you're getting healthy uh, and we can you know, start to see what this team is made of here over this next five-game stretch because we're going to learn a lot about the Hoosiers and hopefully what we learn uh, is positive moving forward. All righty, that'll do it for us on this edition of the Assembly Call IU Post Game Show. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, make sure you join us. Or, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash assemblycall. You can also subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 
to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We will be back to talk IU hoops again with you on Monday afternoon. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right. I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show... We appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client.